0: What will be your questions? So do not hesitate to ask your questions, and uh Gavin will be here at the end of the session to um to respond. Uh now I give the platform to Gavin. Welcome and um enjoy.
1: Thank you. So I should say a few words, Ivana, just to introduce myself, perhaps. Yes, please. Okay, hello everybody. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this uh, webinar i hope you will enjoy it i've certainly put a lot of work in preparing it and uh, through discussions with people in the industry and and, and other uh, research so i hope it's, uh, it's going to be interesting for you so uh, my name is gavin ryan i was a private equity fund manager for 20 years uh, before that i was an investment banker in london at hsbc and namura for 10 years and i started my my work as a troubled company specialist at price waterhouse The first fund I managed was a $30 million venture fund, part of Advent International. Then I went on to manage a $200 million regional growth fund, which was part of the Soros Group. And finally, I managed a 2.5 billion euro renewable energy fund out of Vienna. I now work in private equity in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa as a board member, consultant to private equity investors, management teams, and as a professional trainer, and working very closely with, with Leah Roth. So, welcome everybody. To um, to my talk, um, I put up some slides, which I think w- you can uh, you can you should be able to see. Um, and so, what I'd like to do is before I launch into the presentation, and we will be going into a little bit more detail in that, I would just like to say a few words about my my take, my 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 ideas about this crisis and about the private equity market. It's important to look at how private equity as an asset class has been affected by economic crisis. In the last 20 years, we have had three relevant economic crises. The first one was the internet bust of 2000. The second crisis was the financial crisis of 2009. And the third is the pandemic of 2020 right now. Let's look at how these affected the private equity markets. Of course, at the current time, which is April 2020, the pandemic crisis is still playing out, and so we do not have the benefit of hindsight. The internet crisis of 2000 was more of a blip for private equity. It was not so big. The market fell for a year or so, but then recovered strongly and grew very fast until 2009. A big feature of the market at that time was the abundance of inexperienced fund managers. Uh, One study I saw estimated that as many as 25% of the funds raised in that period were first-time funds. The financial crisis of 2009 was much more serious. The private equity market fell by 50% and subsequently reset from this lower level. Fund managers, Many with a financial background were poorly equipped to weather the new required focus on managing the portfolio, and this factor, coupled with the credit crunch, led to a significant slowdown and several managers exiting the market at that time in 2009. The industry faces the 2020 pandemic in a much stronger position than it did in 2009. Many managers who lived through 2009 are much more ready to take care of their portfolio companies. And the financial system is much stronger than it was in 2009. It's a big benefit that the last crisis was just 10 years ago because many of the people who work through it are still in the market and mostly in senior positions than before. And this is a valuable cohort of professionals for the private equity industry. Similarly to 2009, There will be a flight to quality, which will favor the more established fund managers for a while, and there will be a slowdown. But ultimately, the private equity asset class, unlike other asset classes, benefits from a long term capital base and managers with deep experience and strong skills. And this will make all the difference. So we can ask ourselves will there be opportunities for private equity as a result? of the 2020 pandemic? Yes, and in a much bigger way than 2009. Let's think about the differences. In 2009, there was a financial crisis, which had an impact across all sectors of the economy, which eventually recovered. In 2020, we have a crisis that has caused complete disruption in consumer behavior a short-term disruption we all know because we're living it personally in our homes, and a long-term disruption we still cannot be sure about. A global disruption in consumer behavior means a disruption that will be differentiated across sectors, which is a scenario completely different from 2009. In this sense, this will be a revolution. A new order is coming. Disruption means opportunity. We now need entrepreneurs who can spot the new opportunities that will emerge. And we need private equity fund managers who can talent scout these entrepreneurs and support them. Fund managers who will successfully play offense, not defense, in the new environment will become the new winners and top quartile fund managers. The others, the ones frozen with indecision, waiting, will fall by the wayside. So what the private equity industry is facing now is a huge opportunity, which will come on stream eventually in 2021 or later. And the industry needs to get ready for the dust to settle and for the new order to emerge. So those are, in a nutshell, some of my general thoughts about it. And I think um, what is important is the the perspective of comparing the the current crisis to previous crisis because we can have some lessons and if there's one single important comment I can make about that it's the fact that the last crisis was quite recent and so many people who live through that are still working in the industry today and that is going to be very important so let me um, let me turn to my slides so um, we're going to cover in a bit more detail uh, and hopefully picking up some of the topics and concepts that I, that I mentioned uh, in my introduction we're going to look at uh, all the various aspects of private equity, as outlined in in the plan. So we're going to look at uh, fundraising, deal making, some of the differences with the last time, and what will be the impact on both the LPs, the limited partners who invest in private equity funds, and on the GPs, the fund managers who manage those funds. So let's start with the the macroeconomic picture. Now, I'm not an economist, I'm a fund manager, so I do not presume to have all the all the answers with regard to macroeconomics. I think I think that's not going to be that's not going to be an easy thing to do. I think um, if I had to say uh, make a few comments uh, just in general about the macroeconomic crisis, I would say it's a very different from 2009. Why? Because 2009 was a man-made crisis and it was a financial crisis. This uh, this crisis is. Not a financial crisis; it's uh, an economic crisis which has reduced supply and demand simultaneously. And it's an act of God; it's not it's not man-made. Effectively, I would say that um, I have um, carefully looked at some of the economists' discussions about the effect of this crisis, and my only conclusion is that nobody can be really sure at the present time uh, about what the effect will be. I've seen various economists estimate GDP decline rates ranging from nothing to minus 25% from Goldman Sachs. I saw that Deutsche Bank was forecast the UK GDP to be down minus six and a half percent. So the fact that these forecasts are so variable means that, you know, it's, it's people don't really know exactly what, what's going to happen. And, and, and so it should be. I, one thing we can do comparing to 2009 is that the financial system is much more resilient than it was in 2009. And, and also policymakers have learned a lot of a lot of lessons. Uh, what we're seeing now is a huge amount of public sector intervention into the economy, coupled with a good sense of on the ground success. So for an example of that would be Germany. Uh, the German government had a program to guarantee 80% of all loans to SMEs in the current period. They saw that it wasn't working so well with the banks. They increased that to 90% and then to 100 percent so that gives me optimism because the governments are really trying to move as fast as they can one thing i would i would say uh, looking at the different areas of the world is that it seems at the moment that europe is able to react somewhat better than the u.s uh, uh the u.s economy because europe has the the benefit of a, a welfare system and that has allowed the european countries to allow to, to keep people employed and have underemployment on the job subsidized rather than sudden unemployment which is the case in the us which is obviously much more difficult for people so so that's that's a, a slight difference between europe and the us um, what do we what do we see um, depending on the scenarios some economists are predicting it will take two years to get back to current gdp levels but frankly frankly we don't know ultimately until there's a vaccine nothing can be said. I think well, if you see the slide, one thing uh, you'll notice is the impact on sectors uh, and I think that's this is uh, this is where the sudden shift in consumer behavior kicks in. You've probably seen many tables like this one i I put up here on the slide. you see that are oh, obviously um, we have sector hits, so um, we'll have obvious negative impacts on travel, on hotel on restaurants. Um, we would obviously have dem- surge, and, surge in demand for food, pharmaceutical and online shopping, that's obviously quite predictable. What will be more interesting is if people will be able to predict the second order, you know, the less obvious uh, sectoral shifts because that's where some of the opportunities will, will come from. We can obviously see the changes in consumer behavior, which we know from our own experience, the lockdown, uh, a lockdown lifestyle, preservation of cash, privileging food and pharmaceutical purchases and perhaps other indirect effects like an increased online skills. For example, my parents are in their 80s and they have now become quite expert at uh, online shopping, which wasn't the case case before. Um, Let me just say um, a few words about the um, the private equity asset class. Um, Getting on to private equity here. Um, if we compare private equity to other asset classes, like hedge funds or other asset classes, private equity has some very good advantages and one of these is the fact that private equity funds have a firm capital commitment in other words the uh, the Lps the investors who commit to private equity funds are committed for quite a long quite a long period. Um, and that is a good thing, because if you're a hedge fund manager, um, your, your investors could be calling and saying, well, I want to liquidate my position, I want to get out, and your hedge fund could be collapsing uh, as we speak. With private equity funds, that's not the case. I've heard of uh, two LPs who have defaulted in Europe, and there have been a few rumours of a couple of others, but it's very small, and most LPs or investors in private equity funds are solid institutions like pension funds and insurance companies do not make it a habit of defaulting. So private equity has firm capital behind it. The other thing private equity has is that private equity has time and patience. In other words, private equity investors are are ready to ride out the cycle. They are not under pressure for short-term earnings and that can only be an advantage in the current environment. The third thing which is an advantage of the private equity asset class is that, Private equity-backed companies are strong companies in general. Um, If the company needs more money, it has a shareholder who who is in a very good position to help out. Whereas a quoted company or a family-backed company may have financial difficulties. So private equity-backed companies tend to be relatively stronger than other kinds of companies. And last, private equity has managerial resources. A a well-run private equity firm has a strong management team with strong skills and experience and some of those skills are quite relevant to managing uh, the situation we have so these are four big general advantages of the asset class and, and and that should not be and that should not be ignored and then finally i suppose i could comment that in the current debacle and and all the problems people are having private equity fund managers get their salaries anyway because they're getting management fees and and um, that is something which is good for them obviously uh, doesn't affect everybody else but that means at least they'll still be around to do their jobs um, let me let me say a few words about how the private equity uh, asset class is performing now clearly it's uh it's going to suffer like like many others um let's uh, let's look at a few studies because at the moment we're only in april and this crisis obviously hit us in january but what can we say? Well, firstly, if we look at some parallels of 2009, we may be able to get some ideas. So firstly, if we look at the crisis of 2009, what happened there was that the average holding period of investments increased from 3.7 years to 6.2 years. That's what happened uh, last time, 10 years ago. And we should expect something like that to happen now. In other words, the private equity funds will be holding on to their companies and their investments quite a lot longer than before. I don't know if it's going to go exactly the number of years that it was last time, but surely something like that is going to happen. What about valuations? Well, there have been different studies. Um, One thing I could do is I could compare it to public markets. There was a study done by a bigger limited partner of uh, the pattern of crises between the years 1994 and the years 2019 using historic data. And what this study showed was that private equity valuation will usually follow the decline in public markets with a lag of about one quarter. So it will take about one quarter for private equity valuations to go down the same way as public equities. And the study also showed that the decline in private equity valuations was something between 50 to 55% of public equities. And then the recovery in the private equity market valuations was faster than public equities. So this study would suggest, looking at history, that the the decline in private equity will lag public equities by a quarter, it will be about a half, and it will recover quickly, which is generally positive if we compare it to public equities. I've seen some other studies, um, a study by CEPRS, which was forecasting returns will fall by 10%. I've seen a study by MSCI which estimated that the valuations of private portfolios were down about 30 to 35% compared to the end of December. But honestly, the studies are quite changing. And so we don't know exactly, but, but certainly uh, the private equity market is going to be affected. One thing that's important to note is that the effect on funds will differ according to when the funds were formed. So for example, if a fund is a young fund the fund was just set up in last year well these are very lucky guys because they've just set up their fund they haven't spent any of the money yet so they're in a fantastic position because they can now deploy this money uh, at lower valuations hopefully middle-aged funds uh, in the which were set up in 2015-18 will suffer somewhat more and the older funds will have big problems because they're coming to the end of their life and they're looking to make their exits and the market is obviously collapsing, at least for, for a certain period. So the effect on valuations and on the performance of the asset class will depend on the fund vintage. But overall, what should we should expect is that the the, the the decrease in valuation will be less, it will be attenuated compared to public equities and it will not be realised because fund managers will hang on to their investments and wait to exit so so that's what we should probably expect when we are talking about the performance of the private equity asset class let me go on and talk a little bit about fundraising Um, now um fundraising is is a big part of private equity and uh, different studies have have made different estimates but um quite a few funds completed fundraisings in 2019. So in 2019, um, the mega funds of over $5 billion accounted for about half of all fundraising and the funds under $1 billion are at a kind of 15-year low. So the expense from last year was that the mega funds have, have, have increased their market share as far as fundraising goes. However, what should we expect for 2020? Well, we should expect a slowdown. Um, a recent survey by the British Venture Capital Association showed a very large percentage of LPs who are planning to cancel their, their activity in 2020. So it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit like a game of musical chairs. Uh, the music just has just stopped and if you are sitting down or if you raised your fund in 2019, you're okay. If not, you're not, you're not so okay. Um, If we look at some examples, um, we could take a few few examples. For example, Blackstone raised 26 billion in 2019, so they have plenty of money. I think other firms like Platinum Equity raised about 10 billion. I can't resist quoting the managing partner, Mark Burnhill, who was asked to comment about the, uh, the crisis. He said, well, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good because they just managed to raise 10 billion in January, just before everything happened. Ardian raised an $18 billion fund to do secondary deals and KKR raised $2.2 billion for their Japan forefront. So they got lucky. Uh, others are less lucky. SoftBank has got some big problems. It looks like their second vision fund is probably going to be on hold given the problems uh, in Saudi Arabia who is going to be the main one of the main investors. So um, fundraising uh, in 2019 was big it was a huge amount of fundraising but it's effectively stopped fundraising has, has stopped and what i expect is that uh, there may be a certain amount of uh, follow-on fundraising uh but the absence factors such as for example the absence of the possibility of a face-to-face meeting will favor uh lps with existing uh, gps with existing relationships because the investors will be more inclined to give money to people they know already rather than have a teleconference with somebody they've only just met so i think in 2020 the taps are going to be pretty much turned off it's going to be much harder for mid-cap gps to fundraise because of a flight to quality and i think first-time funds except for those with some compelling story or a unique niche are pretty much out of the market so a generic first-time fund uh, this uh, in 2020 is probably got very little very little chance Uh, and so so that's the picture of fundraising it's it's pretty much uh, stopped but there's a lucky number of people who raised a large amount of money last year and that money is is there ready to be ready to be deployed Uh, and so that's that's really i'd say the picture of fundraising Uh, and and, um, you know as far as fundraising goes it's not so great but as far as investments go which we'll see in a minute it's not bad because there is money there to be invested when the time comes let me talk now about deal making uh, so uh, investments the investment side the private equity well we have a lot of what's called dry powder in private equity which is there and, uh, and most of this dry powder is with the large buyout funds because let me remind you that globally it's estimated there's about between seven and 8,000 private equity firms globally. And the vast majority of these firms, maybe 7,000 or 500 of them, are typically mid-cap firms. So a firm managing 100 to $500 million, employing 10 or 20 people, that's 90% of the, GP, of, the, of the GPs out there. And the mega firms only account for 10, 20, 100 firms. So that should always be borne in mind when we're thinking about the private equity market, because the large firms, the large deals attract most of the media attention. But by number of deals, the mid-cap market is where most of the deals get done. Now, it's been estimated that as of the end of 2019, we have between 1.5 trillion, which is an estimate by Prequin, uh, and two and a half trillion, which is a McKinsey estimate, for the amount of capital which is potentially there. Um, and so the, the, the deals are there. But what, what have we seen happen? we've seen no deals happen. There was a a study that came out yesterday by CIL Management Consulting, who did a survey of of LP of GPs and only four percent of GPs right now in this moment see the market as a buying opportunity. So everybody's kind of frozen, everybody's kind of on halt. Also because uh, valuations are very, very unclear at the moment, nobody really knows what the valuation is. And so if we look at what deals have been done recently, The only two major equity deals I saw was uh, KKR, which bought a UK waste management company, Viridor, for 3.7 billion. And there was a deal by GSF, which bought Malaysia Airlines for 2.5 billion, backed by a Japanese private equity fund. And these were deals that were in the pipeline long before the crisis hit. What we've seen in terms of actual deals, which are a bit fresher, they've all been equity, they've all been debt deals. So we've seen BC Partners, uh, invest 400 million in a Dutch flower company. We've seen Canada Pension Plan lending 400 million to a Spanish company hotel beds. We've seen Airbnb raise 1 billion from Silver Lake Partners, but also debt. Apollo Global Management is also planning to buy distressed debt. So what we've seen is debt deals, private equity fund managers not doing equity deals, but debt. And so what I'm expecting to happen uh, during the course of the next few months is that any deals that will will happen were going to be mostly debt deals either the gp supporting their portfolio company by providing them with liquidity or buying discounted debt uh, from suffering companies or other fund managers or others so the deals that we're going to see are going to be debt or quasi debt deals and very very little very very little equity deals and as far as the mid cap market goes uh, i've talked i talked to about 20 mid-cap gps in the last two weeks everything is frozen all the deals are frozen except for a very few that were really at an advanced stage and the reason they're frozen is the valuation um, typically when there is a crisis and we saw that in 2009 what happened was that all the deals got frozen because the sellers were not ready to lower the prices the buyers expected the prices to be lower and there was a standoff between sellers on the one side and buyers on one on the other and these typically take a few months to work out before one side uh, eventually adjusts the prices. So the mid-cap market is basically frozen because of um, because of no equilibrium on valuations. What I do expect to happen eventually is that the weaker mid-cap companies uh, will be ready for a buy and build. So a mid-cap company backed by private equity will have an advantage of capital in terms of acquiring a competitor, which may be a family-owned company or another type of company. With a weaker shareholder, who may have eventual eventual financial problems, which will force them to sell at, at a at a more at a more discounted valuation. So what I'm expecting in terms of deal making is, in the mega deal side, it's going to be debts or quasi debts, either supporting companies, and in the mid cap side, it's going to be a frozen situation for a few more months, but eventually a kind of buy and build strategy, which may be slowly emerging, but it's nothing nothing much will happen until after the summer. Of that, of that, I'm reasonably sure. Um, okay, so this slide just uh, amplifies what I just said. So, what we're going to look at, what you should expect, is buying debt to discount, preferred type instruments. So we may see some quasi-equity type deals, but it's still too early. It's still too early to say. It's uh, at the moment the market is 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 really is really frozen. What about uh, portfolio management? Uh, now, what is going on as far as managing the portfolio? So now we're talking about uh, private equity funds, existing investments, portfolio companies. And what's going on is several things. Firstly, there is a lot of analysis and what a lot of the fund managers are doing now is that they are stress testing the portfolios. So what they're doing is they're running what if sales fall by 30%, what if sales falling by, by 50%. So they're running, they're running the scenarios to stress test and see which of their companies are the most vulnerable in the portfolio, excuse me. What are what fund managers doing as far as protecting the portfolio goes? Well, I think I don't want to go into too much detail. They're doing um, uh, things that many people have talked about that you have to do with a troubled company. I worked as a troubled company administrator for five years with bankrupt companies. So it, it sort of rings a bell, but the main things that people are doing is that they're looking uh, at a series of interventions in their portfolio companies which are going to be firstly staff protection making sure that the employees are, are kind of okay and protected then managing liquidity making sure there's enough cash and then thirdly supply chain su- supply chain and market impact. so looking at the supplier payments customer receiver uh, payab- receivables and what the impact of, of the market is so this is all ongoing and um, what i've noticed is that some of the um, some of the bigger mid-cap funds and bigger gps have created in-house some of them are described as swap teams or special teams they've created some special teams to intervene where needed and they've been uh, they've been boosting their operational support capability what's what still hasn't really happened yet is any kind of restructuring so we have to be we have to be clear that there's a big difference between operational support and restructuring which are quite which are quite different things so, so that's really what's going on portfolio management it's still early days but the two things have happening is the stress testing um, nobody's really trying to redo their forecasts yet because it's still too uncertain and they've been securing the company's liquidity and making sure uh, the companies have what they have what they need to survive the next few months um, what's also going on is some cash injections by gps so the gps may be injecting some cash into their companies or or buying back some of the debt. One of the benefits of recent years, particularly the LBO sector, is that most of the debt finance that was raised in leveraged buyouts since about 2015 has been debt on what's called covenant light terms. So the debt has been raised on terms with loan covenants, which are quite weak or or fairly flexible. So what I don't expect is that to be a lot of debt defaults because of the covenant light terms plus the realization of the market that these are extraordinary times is going to allow leverage companies to have a a much easier time of it than they did in 2009. That is something that's absolutely for sure because of the light covenants. Where we are going to see a bloodbath potentially is in venture. Uh, In venture capital um, where we're talking about startups and early stage companies in the best of times if I'm a venture capital and I have a portfolio of say 15 companies I'm fully going to expect three or four of these to go bankrupt i'm going to expect maybe two or three to really be a home run or do really well and the others are going to be something in between what I'm expecting in venture portfolios so I'm not talking about growth and I'm not talking about buyouts so i'm talking about venture is there's going to be a triage uh, to, to use the medical term so venture capitalists are going to look at their portfolios quite ruthlessly and say look of these ten companies, these three were kind of a bit weak um, we were giving them a chance but now we can't we can't afford to um we can't afford to keep any weaklings anymore we have to kill it so we should expect a triage or a killing off of a certain amount of of, of startups and portfolio venture companies which will be you know have to be let go in a very unsentimental way in current time so that's that's It's probably something that's very likely to happen so that's probably the the, probably the worst of the portfolio management that's going to happen let's go on to um, talk about a little bit about exits now what's happening with exits well it's a little bit um, the mirror the mirror image of of deal-making exits are pretty much frozen Um, why is because with the current uncertainty the strategic exits so selling your company to a strategic buyer most of the ones uh, that are in advanced progress may end up getting done i've heard some are getting renegotiated but most are put on hold because the strategic buyers are waiting to see what happens for obvious reasons and obviously all the ipos are stopped because of the volatile stock market conditions so exits are pretty much frozen and funds will wait so what we're going to see is the average holding period that i referred to earlier is going to go up so exits are pretty much stopped Um, the only thing we might we might see is where we have funds which are older funds which are approaching the end of their lives uh, and have to be liquidated we might see some secondary deals where they may try to set up new vehicles and try and roll over their companies into new vehicles or into another fund but the normal commercial exit market is pretty much frozen. Uh, And that's that's probably going to be the case for at least the rest of this year. So exits, the only exits I can see continuing would be uh, exits from one fund to another. So the sale from a private equity fund to another financial sponsor, then they're more likely to be going ahead. But exits as a strategic to strategic buyer or as an IPO or stock market placement are pretty much stopped. Okay, let me um, let me give a few thoughts about um, what are the differences with two thousand nine. I discussed it a bit earlier in my opening statement, but what are some of the key differences? They're all generally good for private equities. The first big difference is that in two thousand nine we didn't really have much as far as private credit funds. Now these are this means banks, not banks, but uh, funds who lend money as debt, senior debt, or mezzanine or other types of debt. Now this didn't really, this was hardly a feature. In 2009 it might have been 5 billion. Um, Now it's about 30 to 35 percent of all private equity leveraged deals. um, The providers of debt finance are private credit funds and these um, are going to be more flexible than banks because um, banks will uh, obviously have a certain reaction. It's, It's normal they tend to be more conservative and so the fact that we have private credit funds still in the market and they st- they're they going to stay in the market um that's going to allow for more liquidity in the debt sector so um you know you will have companies that will be able to raise money from private credit funds perhaps teaming up with a private equity fund as well and so that is something that was not there in 2009 which is there in 2020 and that's going to have the effect of increasing the liquidity in the market and that's going to be a good thing for the private equity market the second thing that we have um, is in 2009. Many of the teams had no experience of crisis. I remember that very well because I was a fund manager at the time. And when we had the crisis, I kind of dusted off my my hat as a bankruptcy administrator and, and sort of rolled up my sleeves and started working with the companies. So I was uh, on two occasions. I think I was uh, interim CEO of a portfolio company. Now, most private I managers in 2009 were really struggling. But now in 2020, we have a whole cohort and, and many people who've lived through 2009. Let's say, let's say we had a, a private equity fund manager who was something like a vice president in 2009. So let's say somebody in their early 30s or so, today they're in their 40s, they're maybe a partner or a managing partner of a fund, and they lived through 2009 and the years subsequent to that, and that's a very invaluable, a very invaluable skill. And one of the things that's important in private equity is that the turnover of the fund managers is much lower than in hedge funds or other types of funds. Private equity fund managers uh, stick around for much longer. And so the collective memory is there and that's going to be huge uh, and a big asset compared to other assets. So that's something that's different today than in 2009 because in 2009 there were people who remember the crisis of 2000 but that was just a blip and it wasn't such a bloodbath And, and so people didn't have those scars, which they can apply now today. the third thing that's different is that um, we've got much better communication between GPs and LPs because when when there's a problem, people get nervous about their money. And so um, the communication between the general partners, the fund managers and their investors, the LPs, is much, much superior today than it was uh, 10 years ago. Um, So they're proactively communicating with LPs. The fact that we have uh, IPEV and ILPA reporting standards, which were introduced, uh, is going to help a lot. So there's a lot more transparency and much better communication, which means LPs are going to be more willing to support GPs, if necessary, with more capital or as a co-investor or providing debt. So LPs are much more open and and less nervous, let's say, than they would, would have been in 2009 and the last thing that we've had that's different from 2009 is that the policymakers, the central banks the governments are much more prepared than they were in 2009 and the the reaction is much more solid they are generally going to be able to make the economic environment uh, better rather than uh, you know being confused as to what to do because i remember in 2009 the, the authorities were really struggling today you know we we can all see that i'm not going to go into detail but we can see that there's been a lot of very determined interventions and that will help you know short the economy which is also good obviously for the private equity market let me discuss a little bit about what are going to be some of the specific impacts on lps and gps of this of this of this current uh, pandemic i think the impacts on on lps is most of them have suspended their commitments except on an exceptional basis In terms of their GP relationships, I think we're going to see a flight to quality. So LPs, particularly big LPs, you know, a large LP like uh, say Ontario Teachers or CalPERS or or others or EBRD or IFC may have 100 GP relationships, maybe more. What we're going to see now is that they're going to be probably looking to concentrate their GP relationships on those GPs that are more solid and, and, uh, and discarding the weaker or the more marginal ones. So we're going to see a flight to quality in the GP relationships. We see a need for good GP communication. If you don't call people, they get nervous. And we're also going to see a, a dynamic within LPs play itself out, because many of the investment officers in the LPs remember very well that if you invest in the bad years, when everybody else is panicking, that gives very good returns. And that was one of the lessons LPs have learned from 2009. And so many of the officers saying, well, you know, this could be an opportunity. But on the other hand, on, on top of them, you've got their board and their trustees, who may be generally more cautious. So we have a dynamic of people knowing it's a good time to go in, but their boards are trustees urging them to be cautious, and that's going to play itself out throughout this year. What is going to be the impact on GPs, on the fund managers? I think, to give you an example, you know, you say, okay, everybody's stuck at home, so guess what? online commerce is going to go up and home food deliveries are going to go up and people are going to watch more netflix well my 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 mother who's 85 figured that out so i don't need to pay a gp a salary to tell me that right so what we need to see is gps who will play offense rather than defense the gps who can see beyond the first order impact and have a vision of what the longer term effect of this is what sectors will do are going to be those are who is going, to, going to be successful so offense means success and that means seeing the second order impacts before everybody else that's that's essential for a gp to succeed and secondly developing an invest, investment strategy to to capture that so that's what we're going to what we're going to look at uh, as far as gps um, let's say strategy development um uh, this year the first time funds are going to struggle because it, this is not a good environment for first-time funds except for those who are uniquely differentiated in some way or whether the team itself has a has a private equity track record they can they can look at and the uh, gps who have a track record which includes living through 2009 are going to be at a premium let me um Talk a little bit about emerging markets. Um, I know that many of you are working in emerging markets. I certainly work a lot in uh, the Middle East, uh, North Africa, and Sub-Saharan Africa. I have many friends and contacts there. I sit on a couple of boards there. What can we expect for emerging markets? I think it's um, not all. Um, it's not all good news. The um, the flight to quality by LPs in developed markets. So the flight to quality by commercial LPs is going to hit emerging markets. Um, LPs are going to be retrenching to developed markets more, um, and so emerging markets will feel that impact. And so there's no there's no sugarcoating that that's that's going to happen. They're going to be they're going, they are going to be pulling out. So kind of the um, Midwest and American pension fund is certainly going to reduce their commitment to emerging markets there is an instinct, obviously to go back to your home base in, you know in, in, in a crisis so that, that will happen on the other hand one of the characteristics of private equity emerging markets is the huge influence of developmental financial institutions such as the IFC um, the EBRD the European Investment Fund the African Development Bank Islamic Development Bank, and some of the sovereign wealth funds uh, who also like to support fund managers. And so what we should uh, help hope to see is some initiatives by some of the um, emerging markets, LPs committed to emerging markets, who may have either a developmental agenda or who have a strong commitment to take initiatives to try and support the market, to kickstart the market, to step up and commit because, uh, as you know, many uh, private equity funds raised in North Africa or in Eastern and Central Europe or in Sub-Saharan Africa will have some of the big uh, developmental funds as anchor investors or as significant investors. So we have to hope and look for some initiatives by, by, uh, by developmental GPs to make sure that the developed markets, the emerging markets, don't suffer. Another thing we are going to probably see is some differentiation some a bit of a shakeout within emerging markets between the solid and the weak and probably what's going to determine the difference between the solid and the weak is going to be two factors firstly the level of governance of the country and secondly the healthcare the strength of the healthcare system of the country which is clearly going to come into play as um, you know as as this uh, pandemic as this pandemic continues so we are going to see some differentiation uh, and people are probably going to be looking very closely at governance and at uh, the, the the solidity of healthcare systems. Um, we are obviously we've already had in the last few years a differentiation between frontier markets and emerging markets. So, you know, South Africa is an emerging market. Burkina Faso is a frontier market. Um, you know, and other examples like that. Poland is an emerging market. Um, I don't know, Tajikistan is a frontier market, and so on. Um, so we've already had that, but that's going to get amplified. Uh, further, expect that in, the, in, in, in this year, this year and next year. So, so that's what I, that's my view of how emerging markets are going to play out. Um, just to give um, some some conclusions, I think that um, it's we have pluses and minuses, so it's not it's not all roses, but it's generally more positive than negative. I think um, the asset class of private equity is stronger than others because of the capital commitments which is there and because of the fund managers even more so that we have the cohort of 2009 still firmly in place there is going to be a premium on the experienced fund managers and there is going to be there is going to be a a, a culling of first-time teams fundraising in 2020 is going to pause exits will be slowing down and the portfolio holding time will hold so there won't be any distressed sales but the 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 companies will be in the portfolio longer buyout funds i'm sorry to hear it but i'm a i'm a mid cap guy myself but the buyout funds are going to be relatively stronger than the mid cap and the venture funds because they have more dry powder and the lps are more willing to back them emerging markets fundraising is probably going to pause unless the dfis and the developmental lps step in to be in a counter cyclical move And the people who are going to suffer the most is probably going to be the first time funds and the weaker part of the venture portfolios. But the good news is, you know, let's all get ready for the new order that's going to emerge. I see the Corona crisis not as something like 2009, where things are going to come back to where they were before. I see it more like the Second World War, where everything is being thrown up in the air, all the sectors are in the air, and we're going to see what's going to emerge. And we're going to see who's going to pick up the pieces and who's going to take that forwards okay so that concludes my talk um thank you very much for your attention i hope you found it interesting if everything goes back to normal at least in terms of the lockdown please do come uh, if you like attend my course in london in august and in dubai in november and if you want to hear more about private equity feel free to check out my dedicated YouTube channel, private equity, confidential. So I look forward to start. So I look forward to hearing your questions now.
0: Thank you, Kevin.
2: So Ivana, um, you, shall I just take the questions?
1: Um,
0: Yes, I believe you have access. So uh, Shahzad Khan uh, and there is uh, Mahmoud.
1: Let me uh, me just uh, look at some of the questions that are coming up. Yes.
0: Um,
1: Okay, I have a question here. Um, You mentioned in your introductions that entrepreneurs are required to take on opportunity. Is an entrepreneurship background required to be successful in the private equity class? Okay, well, I think um I think I can answer this in two ways number 1 um you you don't need to have an entrepreneur background to become an entrepreneur because obviously you didn't come out of your you were not born an entrepreneur you can uh, the you know you can uh, there's no reason why if you have a good idea you have a you know you have the belief you have the passion and you see an opportunity in all this uh, crisis um there's no reason you cannot try and give it a shot okay there's no guarantee of success but that is the nature of being entrepreneur um in order to succeed as a venture capital investor so somebody backing entrepreneurs many venture capital investors are have been former entrepreneurs um so so yes in that in that sense that can help but it's not necessary to have been an entrepreneur in order to in order to be a, a venture capitalist um i have a question here which says regarding deal making why would it be more debt deals than equity deals is this specific to crisis periods yes in a way yes uh, particularly now and the reason for that is that nobody is sure about what the valuation is. um so if you're not sure about what the valuation is it's hard to make an equity investment because you don't know how much percentage of the company you need to own for your money and so, therefore, it tends to be easier to do a debt deal. And that's why we're seeing a lot more debt deals. Okay, let me look at some other... Um, okay, here I've got one. Dear Gavin, from your experience and background, how can we reform the regulatory and competitive environment in different industries that may shift? Um, well, I think um, we, in, as far as priority goes, we're not going to need much new regulation. And the reason for that is that after 2009, there were a lot of problems in the private equity industry, particularly with the mega buyout funds. And what we saw happen there was there was some new regulations introduced, both in the US and the European Union, to regulate private equity fund managers, to increase transparency, and to put some limits on the the more risky activities. And these regulations are in place and they seem to work very well So, I do not expect new regulations to result from from the COVID crisis as far as the private equity sector is concerned. Here's another question, with numerous scandals within Middle Eastern companies and fund managers like Abraj, what advice do you give to new fund managers when it comes to fundraising? Well, the good news is that Private equity, um, abrage was actually a real aberration, Abraj was a, a one-in-the-kind scandal because almost all the scandals involving fund managers involve hedge funds and there's a very simple reason is that if you are a hedge fund basically say you're a hundred million dollar hedge fund basically you get a hundred million dollars in the bank and you start to invest it and therefore the temptation is there to misspend that money if you're a private equity fund manager, you don't have any cash in the bank. You just draw down the money. The money is the money's drawn down when you need it, and it's and uh, all the investments have a lot of due diligence and a lot of other people looking at the investment. So fraud and mismanagement is actually very rare in a private equity fund. And the only reason Abraj was able to do it was that they had different funds which they were moving money moving money around. Abraj is definitely a a, very, a freak a freak event in the private equity sector. It's unfortunate because it did have an impact on the reputation of private equity in the Middle East, but it is a un- very unusual event in private equity. Um, here's another question. Why do you think Europe is dealing with a crisis better than the US? Well, I'm, um, I'm not, in a, I'm not a, an economic or political expert, I'm a, I'm a fund manager, but I think One of the things um, I I, I, I agree talking to economists is that because the Europeans have a stronger social welfare system, so a system of social protection is much stronger, they're able to use that system, mobilise that system better to protect people than the US. What we see in the US is just sudden unemployment. So I think that's probably one of the main reasons.
2: okay i'm looking at some other questions um i have a lot of questions which are uh, quite um,
1: general about the economy I'm, I'm flattered people will ask me about the economy but if you could make your questions more specific to private equity which is where i'm really an expert um do you see here's a question do you from adele Ansari? sorry i forgot to mention the names from adele Ansari, do you see the lp expectations of returns and gains being revised and how can GPs convince them of the new realities? Yes, I think um, GPs are able to convince them of the new realities because the communication between GPs and LPs is very good, and that was one of the lessons of 2009. So most GPs, apart from the, the very small or disorganized ones, have excellent communication with their LPs. And so it should be much easier for GPs to convince LPs in 2020 than it was GPs to convince LPs in 2009 and i think the returns uh, expectations of lps will probably be revised downwards but it's more the case that there'll be a delay i think it's going to be more about delaying exits and returns than about uh, fire or distress sales i have a question from uh Wael bin sidik if i have private equity sector in healthcare it will be high in 2020 and 2021 so i think the question is is healthcare a good sector to bet on well, I think it's, it's, it's too early to, to say. I, I think um, healthcare has traditionally been a traditional defensive sector. So when things uh, go bad, people still get sick and have to spend money on the doctor. So traditionally, healthcare and food and education were traditionally defensive sectors. I think what's changed this time is the fact that people are locked up at home has changed things a bit. So, for example, people don't go to the doctor so much or they don't go to the dentist or they don't do other type, or or routine operations are postponed. So I think the effect on the healthcare is going to be more complicated than simply saying, well, it's a defensive sector, it's generally going to go up. I think we're going to have to look at the effect of the lockdown on healthcare. So it's going to be differentiated. Clearly, masks is going to be good, but other things like maybe dental work isn't because the dentists have stopped working. Okay, um, there's a question from Azam Haq. How do you see the private equity deal pipeline developing for the rest of 2020 um i see the pipeline basically being frozen in other words the uh, the deals that are in the pipeline are going to stay in the pipeline and they're not going to become deals so you know i think the communication between the the gp and the the potential entrepreneurs will stay there but no deal is going to be done for a while because they may just agree to wait or perhaps they might do some kind of deal like a a risk sharing deal where you put the money in as a debt and you kind of value it later using some other mechanism perhaps so there might be some complexity in deals but there won't be any straightforward equity deals i don't think uh, in the in the near few months um john uh, john mubugua thank you for your insights can we get access to your presentation yes i think Ivana is going to make sure that you can get a copy of my of my slides that's that's going to happen
2: um what else uh, what else uh, what other questions um okay here i have a question
1: from uh interesting question from ivana low i'm trying to choose people from africa middle east and asia equally and europe equally ivana low dear gavin i'm a deal maker based in asia given the possible reduction of globalization during the restriction of travel do you think p funds will still look at deal makers favorably by relying on origination so we'll we'll is it possible to make deals with less travel? I think what's going to happen is a flight to quality. So what will happen is that a GP who has a trusted deal maker or intermediary they know for many years, who they know very well, they may be able to do a deal with them. The people who are going to have the problem are going to be the um, intermediaries who don't have strong, long-term relations with GPs, who would need more of a face-to-face to persuade them. They're the ones who are going to be suffering. So, there's going to be a flight to quality as far as intermediaries are concerned as well. Um, Fahim Sunday, do you have a stress testing slide for private equity? I think what most private equity funds are doing is they're using um, a model, a financial model, and just simulating the effect of a sharp decline in sales and seeing, you know, looking at the fixed cost based and the unit cost to see if the company is able to weather it. So, I think it's a question of looking at the different financial models of the different companies in the portfolio. Um, Ingrid Schwank is asking, how would you assess mezzanine development? Well, I think uh, mezzanine is going to be pretty good. I think this is a good window for mezzanine providers, because um, a lot of the equity guys are going to be reluctant. And clearly, if you're a pure equity fund, you can't put all your money in his debt because you won't get the returns. So a mezzanine provider is in a very good position because you may have more flexibility than the the bank in providing than, than providing senior debt but you could structure something interesting because you could provide the debt so you can provide the cash right away to the company but you can have some equity upside so i think this could be a very good window for mezzanine providers um, abdul raf haider do you think it's the right time to take a long-term loan um well i think um it's as good as time as any. I mean, as I suppose as long as you're confident you can repay it, now is as good a time as any. Interest rates are quite low. Azam Haq is asking, is it safe, is this a good time for vulture capitalists to step in to acquire distressed businesses? This is an interesting question. The question of vulture funds acquiring distressed businesses. I think this is a double-edged sword because I think we're, what we're going to have is, we are going to have distressed businesses But we're also going to have people waiting so people are going to try and hold out before selling and so acquiring a distressed business it may it may be the case but we also have to be a little bit careful for some funds about reputational issues it's one thing to acquire a a small distressed company in spain for 20 million euros it's quite another thing to do a, a mega billion dollar deal and acquire a distressed german company by an american buyout fund that could have political Pushback, and I think the industry, uh, particularly the mega buy funds, have learned their lesson from two thousand nine, that they don't want to be seen as immoral predators because that may uh, create a political backlash. So I think it's going to be a tricky, a tricky area: the distressed deals, particularly on the big side. Um, okay, let's have a question from Sub-Saharan Africa. Frank Eddie Ozon what do you think about the development of impact investing in areas like sub-saharan africa well i think impact investment is is a lucky area because impact investment is an area which depends very much on developmental financial institutions and in some way they are less commercial although obviously we know impact is this kind of dual blended return it's not one or the other so i think impact investment may be one area which may be uh, may be able to weather the storm a little bit better because the uh, investors in impact funds are mostly are, are very much uh, have a mission to develop so i think they will have
2: an easier time than many others um how uh, okay let me Mohammed, re Mohammed um how would you uh,
1: how would you be able to compare the current economy with the with with the with uh, with, uh, with with past pandemics i think um the question was if i understand correctly um how could we compare the current pandemic with past pandemics if i haven't misunderstood the question well i think um if you look a little bit about history um i would say uh, i'm not a medical expert so all i could all i could really say is that um the, the lessons of history definitely is that pandemics have a huge effect and they do disrupt everything very very big and i looked a little bit about history i'm a, I'm a bit of a a passionate uh, amateur historian and the two big pandemics in the past was the justinian plague in the sixth century this is in the year 550 approximately and the effect of the justinian plague it led to the decline of the byzantine empire and of the persian empire and, 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 it, and it led to the emergence of the caliphate so one of the effects of the first justinian plague was the emergence of the caliphate and then the second major plague we had was in the 14th century which eventually led to the renaissance. So these, these pandemics do have big effects. Clearly, those two that I just mentioned, they killed about 30 to 35% of the population. And clearly, this isn't the case with this one. And we hope it's not going to be so serious. Uh, but let me get back to private equity, because I know more about private equity than I do about these other things. Um, what advice, uh, this is from Anne Ngugi. What advice would you give to an impact fund manager who is on the verge of signing an equity investment in a business taking into account the impact of the pandemic on the valuation well i would um, i would uh, I would wait I would either wait or I would uh, invest the money as a convertible loan so put it in as a loan and then have the conversion the option to convert later If you're going to put it in as equity right based on a valuation pre pandemic you might have a bad time. So I would try and maybe change the nature of your instruments. You have okay.
0: uh, we have Raja Alfaleh. Sorry? We have Raja Alfaleh with a question. A bit
1: Okay. Up. Raja Alfaleh. Yes. What if the equity is a service, let's say technology service, what is the best tech to invest in? From Raja Alfaleh. What is the best tech area to invest in? Well, um, Um, As a fund manager, I'm depending on the entrepreneurs I invest in to tell me that, because uh, if I knew that, I would be on a yacht, not doing webinars. Uh, This is a joke, of course. Um, We don't know. Honestly, um, I don't know. It's still too early to say. You could say, obviously, e-commerce or uh, home delivery, food deliveries, there's many ideas out there. Um, Some may be right, some may be wrong. Um, I don't know. The honest answer is it's for sure things are going to change big time. The tech to invest in in uh, August of this year is going to be very different from January of this year. But I can't say exactly what that is. Um, Mohammed Safil, what is a young fund, middle fund or age fund? Okay, a young fund, what I mean by young fund is a fund that just got started, for example, in 2018 or 19. So the young fund has just started. So they have all their money, but they haven't yet started to invest. And that's a young fund. A middle-aged fund may be a fund that's from the year 2017 to 15. So let's say they're a 100 million euro fund. Maybe they've invested 50 million and they've got 50 left. That's a middle-aged fund. And an older fund is a fund, say, of 100 million that's made all their investments already and has no fresh money. So that's what I
2: mean by young, middle-aged and aged. Okay. Um, any um, any other questions, um, Ivana? Do you have
1: any suggestions for other questions? Um,
0: well, here are some more questions coming. No, in.
1: I just questions. some of them are not private equity related, and I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm enough of an expert to really answer them. No
0: worries. No, we'll, them. no worries. We'll accept some. Some which are left okay
2: well,
1: that, we'll we'll find a way to to, to yes, support well, I, I have a question from nada um what is the expected economy economic decline due during 2020 and when is it expected to recover well that's the big question i don't think even economic experts know for sure it's it's going to go down um, a lot of uh, economists are saying that if they find uh, they solve the pandemic this year the vaccine, it's going to be two years for recovery, so 2022. But, uh, you know, nobody's really sure right now, including the experts. And I'm not
2: an expert on economics. Um, okay, I've um, anyone, uh, Jimmy,
1: go ahead, Ivana. Can you suggest the question perhaps?
0: Yes, well, uh, maybe some at the beginning in case we missed. Um, oh, ah, I see
1: they, one, yes,
0: yeah, if they they um, just go. Well,
1: Okay, I have one from Mohammed Kabani, what do you think about private acquisition which started to reduce their staff? How will it affect most sectors now going remotely? Um, Well, so far, um, I haven't seen much evidence of many private equity funds reducing their staff. And one of the reasons for that is that the salaries of private equity staff are paid by management fees. And management fees are paid by the LPs in the funds and these are usually pretty solid institutions. There have been some rumours of some defaults, but generally there hasn't been a problem so far with with, with, uh, fund managers collecting their management fees. So there shouldn't be a problem with them giving salaries to their staff. If there has been a reduction staff, I think it's something fairly unusual. Um, It's possible that the level of activity has gone down, so it's possible that some of them have gone uh, are working from home and so forth, like like many other areas, and of course, uh, a private equity management team it is quite easy for them to work from home because you're not manufacturing, you know it's, it's basically uh, people in office. Um, john um, John Mubegua, do fund managers in Zimbabwe have an advantage in this pandemic? That's an interesting question. Um, I honestly don't know. Um, I'd love to know, but um, I I don't see why a fund manager in Zimbabwe would have a specific advantage, no. Um, Okay, I have a question from Abdel Chamad Mahamat, I apologize for my pronunciation. So it's Abdel Chamad Mahamat, could you elaborate about the comparative appetite for private equity as an asset class in Africa relative to Europe? Well. Well, clearly it's different. Um, Africa is an emerging market, and we have to also segment Africa between North Africa, which is part of the Middle East-North Africa emerging market grouping, and sub-Saharan Africa. And then Europe, we have Western Developed Europe, and then we have Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, and clearly the size of the market is very different. One estimate that I saw by AVCA is that there's about 250 private equity firms in Africa compared to, say, maybe 3,000 private equity firms in Europe. So, uh, clearly Africa is an emerging market, it's at a much earlier stage. And then within Africa, we can divide Africa between North Africa, which connects to the Middle East, Western Africa, East Africa, and and, and South Africa. So, we've got these four distinct areas, but it certainly is an up-and-coming emerging market. Um, okay, let me some... Oh, here we have a technical question from Aziz Asmael. As IFRS standards, we have to follow cash basis and recording. So if somebody postpones an expense, this will give fake figures. So what do you suggest? Well, of course. Now it's quite normal. I worked I worked um for five years as a troubled company administrator uh, many years ago, where I specialized in companies where fraud was involved. And, and clearly, one of the things companies do to cook the books is they will um, they will postpone expenses, they will play around with accruals, they will change LIFO to FIFO, vice versa. And so all these things companies will do to to put to pump up their expenses. And this the way to solve that. What I suggest is you need to have a good accountant and to have some forensic accounting skills. Um, ah, OK, John mbugua M- M- you so do zimbabwe fund managers have an advantage due to the constant instability that's an interesting question so john is saying well because zimbabwe is so instable unstable fund managers have are used to living with instability and have a more flexible mindset well that could work that could well be the case yes there is that difference um you know today we have uh, a lot of uncertainty so yes maybe there is an advantage
2: in that sense yes you're right okay um march march in frost um
1: how do companies from emerging markets prepare to survive and how do first-time fund managers learn quickly from the present situation and present quality so how can first-time fund managers learn and present enough quality to lps to maintain confidence and traction? well in private equity the the real way you learn is from experience so the best way that fund first-time managers can managers can learn quickly is to do lots of deals roll up their sleeves and deliver the results uh, and try and get their experience accelerated because what will convince lps is is experience um azam hak in the light of the current situation do you see cross-border private equity funds becoming more selective about their investment geographies definitely i think people are going to um focus where they feel more comfortable and if somebody's doing an area a geography, which is for them more experimental or adventurous, now is not going to be the time. So you should expect that, absolutely. Ali al, Ali al Mualad, why is priority better prepared for a downturn than a decade ago? Well, a decade ago, the fund managers were not prepared for tough times. Today, the fund managers, have many of them have lived through 2009, so they're better prepared because they have the experience from 10 years ago. In 2009, they did not have experience from a tough time before that. So that's the reason they're
2: better prepared. Um, Okay, Hatim G, so from Hatim
1: G, as an LP, what private equity criteria should I consider in this crisis to invest in a private equity? What are the thresholds? So So what criteria would be The number one criteria would be, has the fund manager, has the team lived through the 2009 crisis? And do they have evidence to show that they did good work in the 2009 crisis? If they can show that, that's a gold star for them. Okay, Ingrid Schwank, another question from Ingrid Schwank. I think it's her second question. Could state financing in companies be uh, a competition for private equity funds in the mid-cap market. So, in other words, if the company can get state financing, can they? Can that crowd out the private equity fund? Probably not, because uh, the state financing is most likely going to be some form of a loan, and private equity could be complementary. For example, by putting in, uh, you know, the company could raise a certain amount of money from a state loan, and the private equity fund could put in a tranche as maybe preferred loan or a, or a mezzanine loan or preferred equity so i think the private equity fund could work with it and to do a package so i think it could be it could actually help to increase the volume of, of deals rather than the opposite okay yahia salem question from yahia salem what is the difference between financial crisis and economic crisis well that's easy in 2009 it was a financial crisis so we had a problem of the, the financial system a collapse in the banking system and collapse of liquidity what we have today is we don't have a financial crisis. Today the banks are fine, there is liquidity. What we have is an economic crisis because we have a sudden complete change in demand. By, the, by, the, by virtue of the fact that everybody's locked in at home, the, top, the patterns of demand have completely changed and that's an economic crisis. What we may see in a few months is we may start to see a, a liquidity crisis. If people have to stay at home and don't work like the self-employed, after a few months, they might start to run out of money. You know, if people are living on their savings, so that we might start to see that. But I don't think that's yet going to happen. It's probably a
2: few months away.
1: So Raja Al-Faleh saying, but the economic crisis will lead to financial crisis. Yes, if it lasts too long and people run out of money, yes, it will. But I think people are going to do, the governments are going to do everything they can to try and change that. For example, in Austria, Vienna, where I'm based at the moment, the government has announced that in, in a week or so, they're going to be lifting some of the lockdown restrictions. And they're, they're hoping that by middle of Mar- middle of May, that restaurants will be opening again, for example. So, we have to wait and see in the next few weeks, things are going to be much clearer. Um, Nade Hawass is asking, concerning obtaining funds, what do you recommend? If you have money, keep it saved or buy a property? Well, I would... Um, i would um i would probably keep it saved and wait for the property market to fall because normally like many asset markets the people you know let's say i'm trying to buy if i'm interested in buying an apartment in dubai the chances are it's going to be a few months before the developers start to lower their prices they're probably hanging on you know trying to trying to keep the prices up so i would wait okay this is an interesting question Mohammed ilyas ali ilyas ali is asking how is the current crisis going to affect the people mentally? Well, clearly this this links to my my the points I made about consumer behaviour changing. We we all know the, the short term change in consumer behaviour because we're all at home, so we know it's about watching Netflix, it's about um, you know home deliveries, it's about using the internet more. We all know that we're all doing it. How is it? But how is it going to change uh, longer term? Well, I think one of nobody really knows. If you know the answer to that question, you could be a successful entrepreneur. You know, one thing people were saying, for example, is that more people are learning how to use the internet to communicate. For example, my mother and father, who are 80, are now very good with Zoom, very good with e-commerce, very good with Amazon online. So we may expect a a permanent increase in the penetration of internet uh, ability, which will have an effect on the consumer market going forwards. Um, other things we may see is, you know, um, I don't know. Some people were saying people now discover home cooking, so people will cook at home more because they've learned to cook. Other people are saying as soon as the lockdown is finished, people are going to go crazy and all go out. So who knows? It's it's difficult to be sure. Okay, um, Ingrid. Oh, sorry, Ingrid Schwank is saying. Sorry, I meant states buying into companies in the form of equity shareholders. Okay, so if the if governments I think it's unlikely that governments will use due equity. They usually do debt or some sort of soft loan. Um, what I could see happening is if the, the governments are buying into companies in terms of equity stakes, they are get, when things pass, the governments want to get rid of those stakes. So that may be an opportunity for fund managers to buy out those government stakes um, you know when the time comes.
2: Okay, here's an interesting one. Um, Azam Haq, uh, Saudi
1: Arabia and other GCC countries are going to slow down in the current pandemic. Do you think the governments will be willing to take a haircut on valuation to keep the privatizations active, or are they going to postpone privatizations? Um, Normally, privatizations involves lots of politics. And so governments tend to be very slow to take a haircut on privatizations unless The governments really need that money for the budget. Now, I think in the case of Saudi Arabia and others, countries such as uh, GCC countries are pretty rich. They have quite a lot of money in sovereign wealth funds and other places, so they don't need the money for the budget. The only place where I noticed that happened was Eastern Europe, where Eastern European governments had already put in their budgets the proceeds from privatisation, and so they had to sell to get their money. I don't think that's going to be so much the case in the Gulf because they can, they can, uh,
2: they can, they can afford to wait a bit more. Um, let me see. I've got
1: a lot, quite a few questions on general economic things, which I'm not sure I'm qualified to um, uh, answer. Um, okay, Mohammed Al Shami is asking, how how can you positively manage equity after the crisis? As, um, as the effect was not just economic. Well, this is where being a, a private equity fund manager is giving give you an advantage. Uh, managing equity proactively requires skills, and that's, that's what private equity managers have or should have. Uh, clearly, there will be some fund managers who won't live up to that and may not have the skills, but, but there is a good number of them. There was one study I saw which showed that in the year 2000, There was only 1,500 experienced fund managers in the whole world. So think of that. In the year 2000, there's 1,500 fund managers who are experienced, meaning have had seven years' experience or more. By the year 2014, this study showed 6,000 fund managers. So by 2020, we probably have about 10 or 12,000 experienced fund managers in the whole world. So there is a, a shortage of supply, but we hope that they will be enough to keep things going. OK, here's a question from John Mugua. Thank you, John, for your numerous questions. Do GPs that are not fully invested look at their investment strategy and wait for the dust to settle? Are we entering into a new normal? I think, yes. Generally, the GPs that, uh, who are not fully invested should wait. They should not invest. The dust has not yet settled. The dust, we're in the middle of
2: a dust cloud, and we are going to be entering into a new normal, a new order but not before, not for a few more months. Um, okay. Um, um, while Bin Siddiq is saying after the Corona
1: crisis, will we see high prices in the private sector to compensate for losses? Well, I don't know. I don't think so because it depends on demand. You know, people say, well, I lost a lot of money so i'll put my prices up now and to make up for what i lost well you know people are not uh, people don't have the spending power that's not good that's simply really not going to happen in a functioning market
2: economy so unless you have a monopoly of some kind i think that's going to be difficult okay um okay
1: let me here's a question from uh, jimmy laputulu La, no, Lapotulu. No, Jimmy Lapotulo. Okay, sorry about that. Should an equity fund manager wait for the pandemic curve to flatten before investing big? How liquid is the market? Well, the market is liquid for the big the big buyout funds. There's about two trillion dollars of dry powder out there. Um, definitely have to wait for the mark for the for the curve
2: to flatten, and a few months after that, I would say. Uh, John
1: Mubugua, would you advise for sector-specific funds to be open to other sectors? Uh, I think that's a difficult one because firstly, you have to get the um, the uh, investors in your fund to agree to that, that you want to change the strategy. And secondly, does the management team have the track record or experience to cover that
2: new sector? If they don't, then it's a problem. Okay. Um, Ivana, do you have any questions you think I could I should respond to that I've missed?
0: Um, I don't think so, but um, okay. um, if, even if we miss anything, just to let everyone know that uh, there will be an opportunity to watch a recorded session of um, of the webinar, and um, we'll still be connected, so they can either come to your training or they can get in touch with us to uh, communicate
1: on anything further so okay Okay. i have a comment a comment from abdullah khan he thinks the world has more appreciation of internet and online and so he's expecting more ideas and initiatives for online in the future including cyber security uh yes absolutely i agree i agree of course uh, we have to see you know just doing online isn't a guarantee of success but i in general yes i I would certainly agree with your your
2: sentiments Okay, so um, I apologize, I haven't answered all the questions. Some of them are
1: more generally about the economy, and and I don't always feel I have the expertise. There was a question about what about oil prices and gas. I don't know, I'm not enough of an expert. Um, Mohammed Asim, can we invest in medical supplies and face masks and sanitizers to get a profit? (laughs) Well, uh, if you have a factory that makes them, well, that's great. if you're hoping to trade them well you you might have an issue with supply but certainly if you are the owner of a factory that's making
2: those you're in a very good position I'm sure um let me see what else um okay i think um Yes, okay. Mohammed, Mohammed was on the lighter side, absolutely. Um, I've asked somebody asked me about
1: bitcoins. Mohammed Ilyas, what about bitcoins? Well, honestly, I think bitcoins were a speculation even good times nowadays. Honestly, um, I, I honestly don't know. I, I own some bitcoins. Um, I made money, but it was pure luck. Uh, it's important. I, I, I'm a valuation expert. I mean, private equity fund managers are pretty good at valuation. And i don't know how to value bitcoins
2: um honestly
0: well so far there uh-huh, okay some questions are coming
1: okay there's a question from mohammed asim again what about investing in gold uh yeah well traditionally investing in gold was when uh people are you know uh, living in turbulent times historically gold was always something that people would invest in this has been as long as uh you know ever since the days of uh, you know the first city in, in in mesopotamia uruk um and so absolutely yeah
2: gold is always a, is always a, is always a refuge um okay um well
0: if Anyone? Okay,
2: well, the questions seem to have slowed
1: down, I, I'm
0: yeah.
1: still ready. If somebody has any, la- any last, last questions, I'm Thank you. a few of you have sent me some compliments about the session, thank you very much. Azhar, what's up Azhar, thank you.
0: I do get a lot of emails as well asking about the recorded session, so hopefully by tomorrow everyone should receive sure. it.
1: Abdullah Khan, thank you all, welcome Abdullah, thank you for joining.
0: Thank you Abdullah.
1: Thank you, Nasa Hawass. what's up, Nasa? Thank you for your thank you. Thanks, Mohammed Danish. Thanks, Mohammed Elias. Thanks, Azza. Thanks, Mohammed Asim. I'm glad
0: thanks, you enjoyed.
1: Thanks, Mohammed Al Shami. Thanks, thanks Abdul Ruaf Haider. Thanks, Reem Ahmed. Thank you, everybody.
0: Well, most of you uh, know to with to the funny. with the. Thanks, Abdul. Thanks, Azam.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Yes. Thank you, everyone. So we can maybe step to closure of the session. Uh, Last thing okay. I would like you everyone to know is that um, we've been uh, transitioning from the on-site to online. Uh, now the opportunity to have the trainer without traveling, uh, without, um, you know, being mixed with other people, except just being comfortable at home. Um, we are organizing a lot of live virtual training programs. And um, for those interested to see Gavin again, uh, we have him planned um, uh, on August and November. However, with the crisis happening, um, we will be able to open a session even sooner. So we'll agree on Gavin's availability and we can plan something uh, again. The session is called Certificate in Private Equity, which um, not only seeing Gavin, hearing his experience and um, having his knowledge um, to, the opportunity to to hear him out and also be become certified. Uh, I'll be sharing more details after the webinar. So that will be all for now. Thank you again. I think it was a wonderful opportunity to have you given. So thank you especially for being um, so helpful and open and um, providing great time to to everyone. I believe everyone enjoyed the, the presentation was amazing. Even for myself that I'm not... Uh, Directly involved in equities, but um, I was pretty curious to to hear uh, an opinion from from expert in your field. So thank you again, and um, have a lovely afternoon. We'll keep in touch if um, if possible. We'll try to to be more helpful and arrange more of these um, uh, in, informa- informative uh, webinars. So um, I believe it's it's a great benefit for for all of us.
1: Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye bye.